0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Flushing Is Burning. I'm Grace, and as always, I'm here with Christian. Christian, how you doing?
2: Just a really bad week for pitching news, right? Steven Strasburg retires, and Noah Syndergaard gets DFA'd, and all of that just kind of gets pushed to the back burner because Otani. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah that was a that was a really. Bummer piece of news. When I read that, it was like, he's not even a Met and there's no guarantee he ever will be. But just seeing that made me like devastated, like to the point of near tears.
2: This isn't supposed to be Mets news, right? But it becomes Mets news in in a couple of ways. A, because... Otani is baseball and whatever happens to Otani happens to everyone, but he decided to play against the Mets two days after, um, a, it, it was revealed that he suffered an injury to his UCL, which will require Tommy John surgery to fix if he aspires to pitch again, which I suppose he will. Um, and most pitchers in this situation would decide to get, the TJ as quickly as possible to maximize the amount of time on rehab and their ability to pitch in the future. But he decided that he's going to play out the rest of the season, it seems like. And he started off by playing really, really well against the Mets in a three game series that the Angels ended up winning.
0: Yeah, um, I was there Friday night. Um, It was really cool. I mean, he didn't obviously didn't pitch. He just DH'd. um, But it was just there was a different energy in in the in the stadium um it, it, just the announcement of his name in the lineup before he even stepped up to the plate the place went wild so it's just like you said he is baseball if you like baseball you like shohei otani because he is just the absolute pinnacle of what this sport can be at this point and yeah, I mean, he's not getting the surgery yet. I assume that's because even as a hitter, if he finishes the season, he's finishing an, an MVP campaign. No one's coming close to him. Even without the pitching for the last month of the season, no one's going to touch him at this point. Um, and yeah, he played really well against the Mets, but he plays really well against everyone, especially this year.
2: Yeah, getting a dose of that Mets pitching staff certainly didn't hurt. I, I wonder if he looked towards this weekend and thought, oh, I, I have to face the Mets. That's no big deal. <laughs> It's, it's flabbergasting how he continues to set historic records on Saturday, he had two extra base hits and two stolen bases. And I don't exactly remember when the last time that happened was, but it's been at least 10 years since anybody has ever done that. And he got that done in like the first three innings. It was light (laughs) for him.
0: Yeah. It's just, it's fun to watch him play. He's so good. And the selfish part of you hopes that he's a a Met next year. But the pure baseball fan in me is just like, I I just want him to get, you know, the surgery and hopefully he comes back. I, I mean, last time he had to get the surgery, which was, what, three years ago, four years ago, he came back and at first he wasn't super great. But that was also because he was essentially playing through his rehab. He was DHing while he was rehabbing the arm. So he didn't get the full break to rehab it. And unlike a position player, he does need to use his arm a little bit more than say a Bryce Harper does when he can play first base while he's rehabbing.
2: And that's sort of what makes this offseason very interesting to me. I was listening to um, a podcast earlier where uh, commentators said that the offseason was kind of ruined for them now because they were expecting this sort of of arms race to figure out like who was going to sign Otani it was going to be one of the biggest like off season numbers we have ever seen, and while I don't disagree that that would have been very fascinating to follow, what is interesting to me about Otani in the off season is it seems as if the possibilities for what Shohei Otani will provide a team in the future are not necessarily endless, but they seem to be a lot greater than what they were before. You knew what you were getting with this peak version of Otani that we have right now, but we don't exactly know what the metamorphized version of Otani post Tommy John surgery in 2025 is going to look like. And so while, while it's sort of gross to ask the question, while this Player has suffered a career-altering injury. I think it is worth asking: How does this Otani injury affect the Mets going forward?
0: Yeah, I think it's a really interesting prospect because when you look at the, we, we've spoken about the Otani free agency possibilities before, and it does seem like there, not every team is going to be in on him as as much as every team would dream of having Shohei Otani on their team. Because of the amount of money he will command, and even without the the knowledge of he will pitch for us next year, he will pitch for us continuing into the future, he's still going to command a lot of money. Because even just as an offensive player, he's one of the best in the league. And one of the best in the league at, what, age 30? Like, he's going he's gonna to get a really big contract. Um, but, yeah, there's – to me, what's really interesting about this is that it's changing the landscape of what you think he could provide. He is – before this, he was a pitcher and a hitter. Now, in the future, he could be both again. He could just be a hitter. He could, if he tries to return to pitching after getting the, the Tommy John surgery and he can't pitch as long, maybe he turns into a interesting reliever DH type. He could just go into the field and become a... You know, he'd probably be a very good center fielder if he, if, if he could, because he has a good arm. He wouldn't need to throw all that often. And he's very fast. It, it's like... To me, I think this makes him even a more interesting target. And at the same time, I think this will affect other teams' um, look at them, maybe more than the Mets. Because if the Mets are true to their idea that they are looking to contend more in 2025 on versus next year, um, Shohei Otani would have breathing room here to rehab. Um, Where maybe on the Dodgers, who based on everything that's happened with their pitching staff, they desperately need pitching. He might not have that breathing room there. They want to contend now because the team's only getting older, and they need pitching very badly, quite frankly, after the Tony Gonsolin injury and Dustin May, and Julio Urias is going to be a free agent, although I think they probably re-sign him. It, this is going to be, this is, this, as much as it sucks, It this sucks so much that, that this injury happened to Otani, um, it does make this offseason, I think, even more interesting.
2: It also needs to be said that you, you touched on this. There is no guarantee that he returns as a starting pitcher because the number of players who have had two successful Tommy John surgeries is very, very small. And the number of players who have come back to pitch as successfully after two Tommy John surgeries is Nathan Avaldi. And I I don't want to put too much historical precedence on this because Otani is an unprecedented player. If he comes back in 2025 to be as great a starting pitcher as he was before, I don't think anyone should be surprised because we've never seen anything like this player before. However, the odds are stacked against him. And it, it puts the Mets in a really interesting position because on the one hand, they have the money to go F it, we ball 500 million for Otani regardless, but the Mets also likely value Otani greater as the ace starting pitcher than as a left-handed DH corner outfield center fielder type because that ace pitcher is difficult to find in free agency. Left-handed designated hitters, none as great as Otani, but you can find seventy to eighty percent of o- of Otani on the market. That's that's not terribly difficult year to year. It's it's such an interesting position that the Mets are in because I I agree with you. There there's a greater need for a team like the Dodgers to go for it next year than for the Mets who have already signaled that 2025 is probably their start date for contention. Um, I, I just don't know that if if you have the money to do it, if you have the will to do it, that you can pass up on offering everything possible for a generational talent like him.
0: Yeah, and I mean the, the it does come down to the fact that at least for the Mets, Steve Cohen has the money to just be like, mm, who cares? Like I'm just gonna sign you, and at the worst case scenario, we have a. Uh, one of the best hitters in the league is our DH, and, you know, you maybe can play the outfield. I-, I don't think anyone would be opposed to, like, Gold Glover Shohei Ohtani out in the outfield either, because, again, Ohtani is such a extreme talent that I think anything he does, he will excel at. So if they put him in the outfield, I have to imagine with his speed, with his ability, he will become one of the best outfielders in the league. Um, but at the same time, I mean, the team, the Mets are going to have to also and i mean this was the case even before otani's injury even if they were gonna go after otani they need more players and they're gonna have to at least on the pitching side they're gonna have to look at other people as well i mean we've already talked about uh yoshinobu yamamoto i I think you don't want to count your chickens before they hatch but there's been two teams linked to him and one of them is the diamondbacks who i've heard like one thing on and the other one is the mets who basically anytime they talk about yamamoto it's the mets are interested I feel like the Mets probably saw in Yamamoto, um, but they're going to need more pitching than that because they traded away like 90% of their pitchers.
2: It's true. Uh, with Otani now on the sidelines, at least pitching-wise, until 2025, Yamamoto now becomes the best available free agent who you know will be able to pitch in 2024. And I, I, I've heard the Diamondbacks. I've also heard the Red Sox just because they have a lot of space and uh, they signed... Um, Masataka Yoshida, uh, who is a former teammate of Yamamoto and Yoshida's tearing it up in his rookie season. A reunion seems something that both of them would be interested in. Um, At the end of the day, the Mets are going to have the ability to sign Yamamoto for the most amount of money. And they also have a proven track record in bringing in foreign players, foreign pitchers, especially with both uh Daisuke and uh Senga pitching very well for the Mets this season so it it would not surprise me if the Mets looked at next season decide that hey we could possibly contend but we need an ace pitcher in order to do that and Otani isn't that guy yeah let's let's go ahead and try to sign Yamamoto if they decide that 2024 is not the year they, they go for it. And maybe they can do a, a soft go for it. Try the, the rolling out the offense. They have sign a, a couple of mid tier starters and try to aim for a wild card. But if the world series contention is what they're going for in 2025, that presents a few more interesting free agents on the pitching side. And, and certainly on the hitting side, if they can't find the left-handed DH power, they want in Otani.
0: Um, so yeah, they got, you know, Noel is going to be out there and Corbin Burns is probably available for trade in terms of pitchers, but I don't know. The most interesting one to me is, um, do we think that Garrett Cole opts out?
2: I, I, oh man, does he <laughs> like pitching for the Yankees? Does, and uh, granted Garrett Cole's a weird dude, but he, <laughs> he seems someone who, he seems like someone who is very interested in having as much money as possible. Can't blame him. And I don't know if the Yankees are willing to be that partner anymore. Cole is pitching exactly like he should be for the money that he's earned. And the available starting pitchers this year and next they're not at Cole's level. I think he's going to command more money. I think he's going to do the Manny Machado opt out from his three hundred million dollar deal to get a three hundred fifty million dollar deal, and I, I, I think the Mets are able to provide that if if Otani can't come their way.
0: Yeah, and I mean, I'm sure also Cole wouldn't be averse to winning another championship. And you know, you hate to say it, not really, but like the Yankees. I don't know that they're going anywhere fast anytime soon. Like, they're – everything they seem to have done – I mean, obviously, Aaron Judge is great, but Aaron Judge also got hurt this year, and that's – you know, that was a freak injury, but also he does have the tendency to get hurt somewhat frequently. Um, Giancarlo Stanton is constantly hurt, and he's signed through 2027. They have so much money locked up in, like – Carlos Rodon, who this year can't, that like basically came to the Yankees and immediately his entire body blew up. Like they, they just they don't have the space in terms of money to be able to sign the people that they would need to sort of take the team to the next level. I think we might, quite frankly, kind of feels like, and I could be totally wrong here. It's the Yankees, but it, it feels like they're heading towards almost like a eighties nineties era of like being bad, which would be wild um especially like I my entire life the Yankees have been mid to good so like a bad Yankees era would be wild for me um but yeah like I don't think I think he I think he opts out especially if he is as close to if not winning the Cy Young this year he'll opt out because he's gonna get a lot of money again
2: yeah I I I don't I don't disagree with that and it's entirely self-inflicted too you, you you talk about how the Yankees don't have the space they do have the space it's just an owner that refuses to provide <laughs> the space for the best GM in baseball to do his job and i this is this is the pot calling the kettle black because the Mets and the Yankees have very similar records this year but the Mets have a farm system the Mets have an owner and the Mets have a core that is young that can win i, I don't know what the Yankees have
0: yeah, and uh, like it, it, like you said, it is. It's the, it's Hal Steinbrenner. He just doesn't want to spend the money, and this has been evident for a couple of years. And Cashman, for all of these, like, yes, has Cashman made er- errors? Yes, every GM does. But also, there's so many errors that he made because of the limitations put on him by Hal Steinbrenner. So I just, I don't see that team going anywhere fast. And if if Cole wants to make more money and win. Even if it's not with the Mets, I think he opts out, and he might he might sign with the Dodgers. That might be who the Dodgers pivot to. There's so many there's so many things going on this offseason, and I think the other big interesting thing is Bob Nightingale reported it um, this week, which of course take it with a, a mighty handful of salt there, but. The Padres may or may not be trading Juan Soto, which I've felt has been the case for a year now. At this point, that they're going to trade him before he is leaves in free agency because they're not going to sign him, and that's really interesting to me. I, there's so many, so many interesting storylines this offseason. I think
2: that'd be a pretty nice consolation for any team wanting to get Odhani, <laughs> but can't. Oh no, you only got the next Ted Williams to be your DH for the next twelve years. <laughs>
0: yeah and and i mean listen has soto been as good in san diego as he has as he was in washington no at the same at the same time it's not that big of a difference like it's not like he's been terrible terrible um and i part again part of me just thinks he doesn't like san diego for whatever reason you know everyone goes there loves it but it just might be an issue with him and maybe teammates maybe front office maybe ownership maybe he just doesn't like the West Coast for whatever reason. People are allowed to be weird and not like things. Um, so yeah, that that would be... It. The Juan Soto trade is interesting. The fact that Cody Bellinger has somehow turned it around this year, which I love. I've always loved Cody Bellinger. And um, I definitely wouldn't say no to him being a Mad...
2: He's, he profiles as the outfield Otani, right? He's uh, <laughs> left-handed DH, superlative power, long legs, really fast, great glove. Like, uh, yeah, I... I don't think adding a former MVP to your <laughs> roster whos I don't think he's at a 900 OPS anymore, but he's pretty, pretty close. Yeah. I there 2025 is the interesting year. Unfortunately, like if, if the Mets don't sign a Yamamoto or an Otani for next season. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that was kind of expected. by the way uh, the Mets projected out after, uh, their fire sale over the summer. Um, but there's always 2025. And I I think that's the thing that Mets fans sort of have to look forward to because it's almost impossible to predict what's going to happen next season.
0: Yeah. Um, let's take a break and then we can come back and talk about some, uh, more 2023 related Mets stuff as much fun as that sounds.
2: that the Mets had traded Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander away had this collective thought of "Ugh, we have to go into next season with Senga and Quintana as our one and two but after the past month or so it's more like eh,
0: maybe we can go in with Senga and Quintana <laughs> as our one and two uh yeah i mean listen Senga is so i mean we were talking about his july his august is great i was at that game friday it filled me with so much joy to watch senga pitch that well to the point that in a year where i think there's really only two like end of year awards that are kind of locked up at this point we know shohei otani will almost certainly win mvp and we know corbin carroll will almost certainly win rookie of the year for their respective leagues um Kodai Senga is like slowly but surely kind of working his way into like a little bit of Cy Young buzz for his rookie season which is crazy like I this is even exceeding my wildest of expectations for him which is so it's just he's so much fun to watch and even in person on tv he's so much fun to watch and he is like hitting his stride in a way that's that's we're finally seeing the results it took a little bit of time for him to adjust to the league. You have to allow for that. If this is the Senga we're getting, and I have to assume also he's only going to improve as he gets even more comfortable to the league in year two and year three. Mm -hmm. This is really fun. And I I wouldn't be, while I would hope that they would sign another starting pitcher or two and fill out the rotation nicely and maybe make Senga a number two, just just to allow for that that moment of maybe regression or maybe a, a slip up here or there, adjustment, anything like that. Senga is my number one, wouldn't, wouldn't upset me too much.
2: Here's some fun Kodai Senga numbers from 2023 amongst all qualified pitchers, which first of all, the fact that he's a qualified pitcher is already an amazing feat for a Mets rookie. I think he's likely the only qualified pitcher in the starting (laughs) staff. Maybe Carrasco has pitched enough, Uh, (laughs) but amongst all qualified pitchers, he is fifth in the national league in ERA, he is sixth in fielding, independent pitching, and he's seventh in F war. And all of those together put him in the conversation for the Cy Young race. He doesn't have that superlative thing that other pitchers have. He doesn't have Spencer Strider's strikeouts and wins. He doesn't have Blake Snell's ERA. He doesn't have Zach Wheeler's innings pitched what he does have is quite possibly the best pitch singular pitch in baseball i believe the opposing batting average on his forkball is the lowest amongst all qualified pitches in major league baseball and that itself is something to build a story around it's something to build a career around the fact that he has this unhittable pitch that he's been developing his entire career and seems to be working very well against the best major league hitters, yeah, that's something you can build an ace around.
0: Yeah, and I mean, in terms of these, the Cy Young with the names that that are floating around there, you know, S- Spencer Strider, Blake Snell, whoever else, The the thing this year is that there's no one who has sort of even a, a decent, complete package, I don't think. Snell's really picked up lately, but he had a sort of iffy beginning of the season, if I'm remembering correctly. And also, Snell, I, I really like Snell. Snell's the kind of pitcher that over the last month of the year could have like one or two really terrible starts that knock him out in terms of that ERA, which is sort of lifting him above the pack right now. And yeah, Spencer Strider has all those strikeouts, but also he can't stop giving up home runs, and he actually isn't pitching that that. Well, like he pitches a lot and strikes a lot of guys out, but when he's not striking them out, he runs into a lot of trouble. So I think that Kodai Senga, in terms of the Cy Young race, I, I don't think he's going to win, but I don't think that it's. I think it's an outside chance right now that he does. I mean, Jarrett Seidler, who writes for Baseball Prospectus and has, um for all you kids out there, great podcast with Jeffrey Padanostro uh he pointed out on Twitter that uh, Kodai Senga might get more Cy Young votes, and and there's an, a small outside chance he wins while not getting a single first place rookie of the year vote, because Corbin Carroll probably has that entirely locked up in terms of almost unanimously. Um, so yeah, it's, it's very interesting to see Senga in the mix there. When I think if you had said even late June, Oh, Senga's in like kind of a Cy Young mix right now. Like at the end of the year, you'd be like, all right, he's doing fine, but let's not get ahead of ourselves here.
2: Correct. And I, uh- I'm a bit more conservative on the Senga for Cy Young track Um, just because I think they're... I, I, I agree with you in that I think that the voters are going to split their votes amongst what they care about the most. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of older voters that go best pitcher on best team who also has the most wins and most strikeouts. Yeah, Spencer Strider is going to make a lot of sense for those voters. There's going to be a lot of analytically minded voters that look at Zach Wheeler is pitching so many innings and that's what matters the most for, for those voters. And I, I do think that race will be interesting. Um, I, I think Senga will earn a lot of fifth place votes and uh, (laughs) that's fine. Like the, the fact that this pitcher who is 31 years old comes into play major league baseball for his first year and is not expected to be anything more than the third or fourth starter on a playoff team coming into the season the fact that he is now the ace of this team yeah the the mets got this signing right and uh i'm i'm very excited to see what what he can do especially since he will most likely be pairing with someone who has shown that he can look like an ace when healthy in Jose Quintana.
0: See, I'm I'm a little more conservative on what Quintana will bring next year. While I, I he could be their number 2, I also know Jose Quintana's track record and he's doing very good right now, but I um, believe he's kind of outperforming what the expected stats are. He's, not, he's only given up one home run, which is good, but also feels like we're, we're playing with fire here. Um, and next year, he's going to be a year older, and he's already, what, 34, I think, am I correct? Right. Uh, yeah, so it, it's not going to – while he could be a good number two next year, I think, again, we can't rely on him to stay this good – as he is right now in these these circumstances where he's outperforming what we could expect of him.
2: Here's some fun Quintana numbers. And these are not amongst qualified pitchers because he's only pitched for 41 innings this season. But amongst all starters who have pitched at least 40 innings, he is 8th in 5th. And when you extrapolate that data, he's actually one spot ahead of Kodai Senga, who is ninth in FIP amongst all pitchers with at least 40 innings pitch. And he's second in home runs allowed per nine innings. And yeah, that one home run that he's given up in his entire season, it might look a little fluky, but it's also a really important reason for his success. I think the reason why I'm so excited watching Quintana pitch is that he passes the eye test. He seems so composed on the mound. He gets his pitches off quickly. He seems very calm and collected. He he, do- he doesn't throw very wildly. He, he seems to have picked up 2023 baseball better than any pitcher on the Mets staff this season. And while I agree with you that It's hard to predict like a good Quintana year versus a bad Quintana year because he seems to switch between those very frequently throughout his career. If he can stay healthy, I think he would be a great number two pitcher. It's, it's that 35 years old, healthy arm thing that is the big question mark for next season. But I like watching Jose Quintana more than just about any pitcher on the Mets this season.
0: Oh yeah, no. I, I This season right now, I'm all in on Quintana in terms of this team. I think next year I'd be more comfortable if they had him at least at number three, just to sort of give you that that breathing room. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's not. it's not a terrible option for him to be your number two, especially if you're not expecting to go far in the playoffs. My hope is just that... I don't think he shouldn't be on the team. I think that he's perfectly good in the rotation. I think he's, quite frankly, one of the most stable people you could have in that rotation at this point. Um, I just would hope that they would do more. That's really the thing, is I hope they would do more. It's the same thing with—I love David Peterson for emotional reasons, and it was great to see him throw seven one-run innings yesterday. Um, But I— really severely hope that they don't go into next year going well he should be our number four or five because I think that's a terrible idea
2: I mean uh, <laughs> who else is it going to be is the problem <laughs> Clayton Kershaw like who else is on the market like it I, I I'm, I'm sorry to say for everyone else but uh, I it would not surprise me if we see at least 10 David Peterson starts next season
0: I'll take 10 I don't want 30 is really yeah. where I'm at right now <laughs>
2: all right that's a good compromise well uh i think that's a good spot for us to to end on and we're gonna come back in in act three with some more stuff okay round two name something that's not boring a laundry Ooh, a book club computer solitaire huh Ah, oh, sorry we were looking for chumba casino that's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. website for details.
0: All right, and we're back. Um, so the big news this week with regards to the Mets is that next year, they're finally going to be retiring Daryl Strawberry and Doc Gooden's numbers, which is great. I, I, I know some people have problems with the retiring of the numbers. I love it. I think it's such like an easy Goodwill thing. And if anyone deserves it from that 86 team at this point, Daryl and Doc are right up there.
2: It's also going to provide such a satisfying pattern of retired numbers, you know, that 16, 17 and 18 are never going to be worn again. And you can just forget the middle of the tens if you are a Mets player. And it's going to provide such a nice uh, symmetry with the memories of the 86 team, which we have to fake, unfortunately, because neither of us is old enough to remember the 86 team.
0: I feel like I got enough like secondhand memories from the people around me that I, I you know, I can I can fake it pretty well. It's arguably
2: um, the most famous team in baseball history, right? It's the 27 Yankees, the, the 19 White Sox, the 2017 Astros, and the 86 Mets, maybe infamously, but you got to celebrate that team as much as you can if you're the Mets, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's the last team you really have to celebrate. I mean, you can retire numbers from, from other guys uh, from other times, but- you're, when you retire Daryl and Doc's numbers, really at this point, because while I think they do retire Gary Carter's number eight at some point just because they've not given it out in 15 years and th- that's got to be coming at some point, when you do that, that's going to be more of like a memorial feeling. Daryl and Doc is going to be the last two really that you can use to sort of celebrate that team in that way. Um, You've taken care of Keith already. At that point after that, who are you? you're, You're moving on to, you know, who's the next retired number after that really is is probably David Wright, Carlos Beltran, if he gets into the Hall of Fame, which I would hope so, because I'm sick of seeing people like Danny Mendick wear number 15. That really bugs me out. Um, God help us if they retire Jose Reyes is number seven. I just, they shouldn't be touching that one with a 10 foot, 10 foot pole, but I, am terrified they're going to.
2: God, that's such a weird distinction that the Mets consider Gary Carter's number eight untouchable yet they hand out 16 <laughs> and 18 and 15. No problem. Like what, what is it? Of, and I understand Gary Carter is arguably the best. greatest or second greatest catcher of all time and the fact that he spent some really really good years with the Mets is enough to warrant that distinction but you gotta give that distinction to Daryl Strawberry and Doc Gooden as well because Daryl Strawberry is the best second best offensive player in Mets history and Doc Gooden's on a Mount Rushmore of very impressive pitchers for this franchise
0: yeah it's My other thing, I'm just glad that they did it, because I think that this is, this shows a a good pattern for the Cohen ownership, as opposed to what we dealt with, with the Wilpon ownership, where the Wilpons were never going to retire their numbers, at least, and this sounds so morbid, at least while they were alive, because of the Coke stuff, which is ridiculous to me, In, In listen, does that stuff, you know, does, does that cast a pall over things if you're really, you know, agree, you know, in that time period? Yes, but also you got to celebrate these guys while they're around because they got you to the top of the mountain. And they're the last ones who got you to the top of the mountain. And I think it also shows a, a love and respect for the team's history that I think the Wilpons time after time showed that they didn't really have the care for, despite them being around for so much of the Mets history, because they were owners with Double Day. So they were owners during that time span all the way through to 2020. And yet they showed absolutely no regard for really the history of this team in any way. Um it just it, it feels as a fan it feels nice to be able to say, "Yeah, you know what? We should celebrate these guys. We should celebrate Daryl Strawberry, who is still currently, who knows if this changes in the near future, the the home run leader for the team, and Doc Gooden, who had maybe the most impressive pitching season by any Mets pitcher ever." I, you know, I wasn't there to witness it, but the numbers at least show that that's probably the case.
2: It's also really important to celebrate these players because both of them and especially doc gooden are still invested in this team they're still enthusiastic to talk about their playing days they're still willing to go on broadcasts and and talk about the mets as they currently stand and that was never going to be a guarantee consider considering how like poorly the relationship between the mets and daryl strawberry ended considering how uh, how difficult a career and a life Doc Gooden has had after his Mets career, like they could have very easily severed ties with the Mets emotionally and been like, nah, this is, this is not a relationship I want to maintain. And yet they're still around. They still want to be recognized. And that should play a really big role in the Mets celebrating their history. The fact that these players want to come back and they want to see their number in the rafters, like, yeah, that, that should play as much a role as anything else, considering how poorly they were treated, um, when their careers ended in New York.
0: Yeah. I think, again, that also speaks to how the Cohen ownership era has, has gone at this point. And I mean, Daryl, I've noticed you've, you see Daryl in the crowd more often at, games now like they'll just be like oh there's daryl and it's i think that there is even in a way that we can't see a reaching out by ownership to these older players these legends of the franchise um that makes them want to come back i mean at this point even look at how look at matt harvey's showing up to games and that relationship ended terribly there's so many pieces of information that even if you're just extrapolating them out from what you see I think paint a very different picture of how Steve Cohen is running the sort of outreach relationship portion of the Mets team with former players as opposed to the Wilpons. We also
2: have to stop treating number retirements as sacred the, uh, the Dodgers, for example, have a policy that they only retire numbers of former Dodgers who have made the Hall of Fame. And while that's a very robust list throughout their history, what it meant was that they couldn't retire Fernando Valenzuela's number until they broke their own rule this year. They had to reassess that and be like, no, actually Valenzuela, he's, he was kind of the most important player in, in our history post-1980s, like – we need to do this. And so like, I don't know if the Mets have any similar hamstrings that they self-impose, but like, let's celebrate players. Like there, there's so few Mets players in their history that everyone can reasonably agree, deserve these titles. Daryl and doc are first and second amongst these right now. They, they need to be recognized. I'm so glad that uh, the Coens are, are doing this. I'm so glad the Mets are, finally, finally embracing the most important team in their franchise's history.
0: Yeah, I think it's really funny that the Dodgers have that policy and then they had to break it for themselves to tire Fernando Valenzuela's number. Who deserves it? Um, But they also keep handing out Mike Piazza's number. That relationship is so fractured. And you read the book and that's, that's really apparent. But there's definitely, I think, a middle ground to be had here between Something like that, something like the Mets used to do, because the Mets clearly had kind of a um, a policy like that, but I think even more strict where, with the players at least, you had to go into the Hall of Fame as a Met or they weren't going to retire your number. And the Yankees retiring the number of anyone who ever breathes on a Yankee uniform, and now they're going to run into an issue at some point where they won't have enough numbers because they just keep retiring numbers. There's like a nice, which again, the Yankees kind of, you get it because there's so many good players, but also there's a few in there where you're like, hey, you really need to retire their number. Um, there's a good middle ground here. And I think the Mets are really hitting that right now.
2: Yes, 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 yes. And uh, I think the other financial incentive for the Mets next season is eh, maybe they're not going to be so good. And so <laughs> get some people out to the ballpark on on those two home days. They are splitting these number retirement ceremonies, by the way, which I think is the correct move, both financially, you can, you know, split the celebration into two home games, but also give each player their shine. I know both players are inextricably linked for solid reasons, but they were great players independently of each other and they deserve their own independent celebrations.
0: Yeah, it's it's gonna be fun. And I hope I make it out to the ballpark for at least one of those.
2: Grace, do you have a movie minute for us?
0: I sure do. So, um, I figure what I'm going to do this week because I feel like I've been doing a lot of new movies lately. Um, which is good, there's a lot of good stuff coming out. Um, but I have I have something in mind for hopefully next week, so I don't want to I don't want to do that yet, so I'm going to do sort an older throwback cuz I just went to the theater yesterday. To see it was national cinema day yesterday i wish i had promoted that last week for four dollar tickets it was great it was great to see so many people at the movie theater um even though that's my worst nightmare because i like to go during the times that no one's there it's just nice to see everyone go out and go to the movies and and you uh, who would have thought that if movie tickets are cheap people will go certainly not me um but i got to see one of my favorite movies that i hadn't seen in years and i was surprised at how long it had been since i'd seen it um but it's the 50th anniversary of American Graffiti this year. I love this movie so much. I forgot how much I loved this movie until I sat down and watched it yesterday. It is very... It came out at the same time as, like, Happy Days. So it's that sort of, like, 50s pastiche homage to... I mean, it takes place in 1962. But it's that, that you know, vibe of, like, the 50s. Because really, the 50s didn't end until Kennedy was assassinated. Um, it, It's this very rich movie with multiple storylines and and it's just like a bunch of people like hanging out nothing really happens but it's just a good time um in my opinion it's george lucas's best movie which i guess is probably a hot take for a lot of people because of star wars but i think this was the the best thing he ever did Um, the cast is great. It's a real, like, watching it and going, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Like, like, Ron Howard's in it. And it's when he was still billed as Ronnie Howard. That's, that's the time period we're looking at here. I was really struck by how good all of the performances were in this movie. And, and just the care taken by the filmmakers sort of, it, it had only been 10 years had passed from the setting of this movie to when it was filmed. But there was sort of a very... Deep level of care in terms of soundtrack, in terms of costumes, in terms of of you know looks of things, and 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 it just felt very. It feels it's like a warm hug to me, and and I want everyone to experience this warm hug. And then you watch it and you see the way that it influences movies in the future. I was this time, first time I had seen it in a couple of years, I was really surprised by how much it seems to have inspired. And it's not super surprising, but it really does seem to have inspired a lot of at least the look and the feel of licorice pizza from a few years ago, which I loved. Um, yeah, it's just it's a fun time. It's like an hour and 50 minutes. It's so good.
2: The way you describe it, and and I have heard of this movie in the past, it seems uh, super influential on like Brat Pack films, super influential on Richard Linklater films, like this seems like something that I'm not sure anyone would have thought would be super influential in the time that it was released, but there seems to be a a very large imprint that this movie has made on modern cinema.
0: Yeah, it's. I think you can sort of. You're right. It, it is very influential. I think you can sort of track the through line of this film, where clearly this film was in certain ways influenced mm-hmm. by uh, Rebel Without a Cause in in terms of the you know, hanging out and sort of the talking about issues and, and sort of focusing on on somewhat real stuff, although this movie does get like there's certain storylines that get a little goofier. But there was a lot of stuff here that feels very real. Um, there's sort of that imposing threat of of war too at the time. And then the through line to the Brat Pack, to Richard Link later, just really to any movie set in the seventies, um, about young people, because that all it, it's so it covers so much ground in terms of what it covers and how it how it works with young people in a way that at the time in 1973 you again really hadn't seen in any great way since rebel without a cause because in that time frame from rebel without a cause to american graffiti it was a lot of like beach party movies were the teen movies so to have american graffiti come in and it feels it's not heavy but there's like a background layer of like, this is, this is real. Like it feels very real.
2: It's also set in Modesto, like Mm -hmm. of all places. (laughs) I'm sure that Lucas has, has, you know, roots there, but that's Cowtown. Like, I I didn't think you could make an interesting movie in Modesto.
0: Well, that's the thing is it's kind of like it's a bunch of people hanging out right before they, some of them leave for college and the whole vibe is like, this is basically what we do in a night and it's nothing much, but a lot happens and nothing happens. It's, it's one of those like nothing happens, but everything happens.
2: I think that's a perfect description of this podcast and a great way to end our episode. So Grace, is there anything you'd like to say before we part?
0: Sure. Um, first, I just want to say that the graffiti I just checked is on Netflix. So if you're interested in watching it, very accessible, you can also, you know, stream it anywhere else. You can stream movies, but that's, you're going to have to pay for. Um, also, as always uh you can follow us on twitter at fibpod, on instagram at flushing is burning pod um you can email us at flushing at gmail.com um we've been getting a lot of good feedback from various different areas and i realized that we never promo this but we probably should um, if you go to homerunapplesauce.com, which is the podcast network we are a part of, um, you can sign up for the Patreon there and you're going to get exclusive access to s- our Discord server, um, to e- other uh, the other podcasts, other extras from them, anything like that. And I, I urge you to listen to the other podcasts on the network because they're all so good. I, I We are on this network. I listen to the other podcasts because I think they're all just so great. It, it's Sign up for it.
2: Yes, Ditto. And <laughs> Otani, get well soon. Please come to the Mets. Um yeah. <laughs> We will we will see you all next week, everyone.